Well, hey, friends, we're about to get this episode started. It's a good one, but I first wanted to let you know about something that I recently created. I know that what you want most from your spiritual life is a sense that God is near and that your experiences have meaning within His plan for your life. But sometimes we run into seasons when they just don't make sense, God doesn't make sense, and you wonder if He's even aware of how the hard circumstances are affecting you or your prayers are just kind of bouncing off the ceiling what you need in those times, the spiritually rocky stretches, is a plan for engaging God. Well, fortunately for us, the Bible is full of people who experience the exact same frustration with God and whose faith survived the experience. How? Well, that's why I wrote What to Do When You're Mad at God, which you can get as a free download by going to halfwaytherepodcast.com slash mad. Just go there right now. You can put in your email address, and then it shows up in your inbox, and it's completely free. Plus, I will send you the latest content and our new material that we're working on. I've got a bunch of things I can't wait to share with you. But if you don't like it, you can unsubscribe at any time. So go now to halfwaytherepodcast.com to get your free download and a plan to help you move through your anger and back into worship, and uh, let me know what you think. So again, halfwaytherepodcast.com slash mad, and hey, let's get this show started. Welcome, my friends, to Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians, and I'm so glad that you're here, that you've downloaded the show and you're listening, and I know that this is going to be a conversation that you're going to get a lot out of. I am excited to introduce you to the co-founder of Hands Across the Aisle Women's Coalition, Kaylee Triller. Kaylee, welcome to Halfway There. Thank you. It's so good to be here. I'm really excited to make the acquaintance and uh, get to know a little bit more about your story because you're doing some interesting work there. Why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, who you are and what you do, and then we'll go back in your story after that. Sure. Yeah, it's kind of a backwards way. First of all, this is not something I ever signed up for on career day. I never imagined that this is what I would find myself doing. But uh, as you know, the Lord has a way of putting you where you belong. So I uh, I co-founded about three years ago a bipartisan coalition of women from across the country, and we uh, center our attention on uh, basically gender identity and transgender ideology and the myriad ways it affects, we think, negatively, uh, particularly women and girls. So I've been fighting this um, beast, if you will, for the last three years, and um, it's been quite a, a unique challenge bringing a diverse group of women together, especially people who would never regularly overlap. Our Venn diagrams are kind of very <laughs> separate for the most part, except for on this issue. But we're finding a lot in common, and it's it's been really interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. So when you say you've got a different, um, you know, different people from different backgrounds, what does that mean? Sure. So I myself, uh, I am pretty stereotypical white pro-life conservative Christian woman. Uh, so my approach to the entire discussion about um, gender identity um, is is through that lens. But I found as I started to kind of get involved in this issue that um, some of the most compelling voices on this issue uh, that we're getting, I think, in my opinion, stifled and choked out the most aggressively came from 
what I would call far leftists, sometimes even Marxist feminists, lesbians, radical feminists, um, who saw this primarily as a, a women's rights issue. And the more I read about the kinds of things that were happening to them as they tried to express their views and the quality of their actual research, I found that um, this is certainly a voice that needed to be at least explored and, and heard more often. So we came together um, in kind of an unlike, unlikely way, but but learning to work together has been both uh, humbling and um, just completely edifying, and it's, it's, it's a blessing. Yeah. Well, really interesting because those are not people that, at least in the last, let's say, 40 years, evangelical Christians are known for partnering with. Not at all. Yeah. No, nor would I have ever. I mean, because before all of this, my soapbox issue was abortion. So I think that if you've ever kind of come up against the abortion issue in feminist circles, um, it can be pretty vitriolic. So to me, I thought never in a million years would this be the way it goes, but absolutely has been, like I said, just completely, it's transformed my entire perspective on how we approach people. Oh, interesting. Well, I want to hear all about that. I too am growing in that area. So I think that's going to make for a great conversation for us, but I want to hear more about you first of all. So take us back into your story. I don't know. Are you, I don't know where you grew up. Yeah, I grew up in Geek Harbor, Washington, uh, which is where I actually still live today. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. So I went to, and I, I will tell you, I think that this may have been the way God, you know, saved me, but I went to a private Christian school, kindergarten, all the way through college. So I was really rooted and grounded in some solid doctrinal, you know, theology and, and good truth. Yeah. Um, so that is a blessing of my childhood, but I also grew up with a lot of trauma, um, you know, and it's not all mine to share, but I can say that we had a, um, a pedophile living in our home for the first 10 years of my life. And that um, dramatically affected and still affects, if I'm honest, the way that I experience life and men and relationships. And so um, that was really hard for me. And I kind of went off the deep end for a little while um, after college and was just kind of ruining my life. Um, I just kind of rebelled. You know, I I figured, God, I know about you theoretically, but where are you? Why am I hurting so badly? Um, And started making bad life choices and sleeping around and drinking too much and just ending up in the wrong crowds and uh, ended up kind of at a crisis when I uh, found myself nearly unemployed and on the losing end of a a battle with alcohol and pregnant. And, um, you know, I, I, I had to really do some wrestling with God. And I remember just thinking, gosh, I don't know how I'm going to get myself out of this, but he's really faithful and he pulled me back. And mm. um, so I've been through a lot. Yeah. Um, and, you know, then I ended up getting married when I shouldn't have gotten married. So there's a lot of really bad decisions that ended up hurting me in, in the long run. You know, so I've survived domestic violence, uh, a lot of sexual abuse. And so that's kind of the backdrop for all of my work now. Um, yeah, I can see how all of that would inform kind of why you're passionate about, about taking care of other people and forming bridges. Um, so I want to take, take us to that moment though, because you said that you had kind of, you grew up in a Christian home, you'd walked away and then God was really faithful. How, how did he bring you back? What was that like? 
you know, there's a, there's a little video circulating Facebook right now. It's of a lamb that has somehow like fallen headfirst into this deep pit. So all that's sticking out are the legs. And you see this guy just pulling on the legs and like yanking the lamb out. And to me, that is just so a perfect picture of what God's had to do for me because it, it didn't come easy for me. I think the wound was so deep that the self-sabotage was so severe. But I remember sitting in the bathtub one night recently, having just been, you know, lost my job, lost my home, um, you know, just drinking, I think I had three bottles of wine in one night and just crying and just screaming at heaven, (laughs) you know, God, you have got to give me something to look forward to or to focus on or to pull me out of this, or I'm going to die this way. I don't know how to fix myself. I can't, I'm done. Like I'm at the end of myself. It takes me a very long time to get to the end of myself. Um, but the next day I found out that I was pregnant and mm. to me, it was just such a, I still cry talking about it. Yeah. It was God. And I knew it. And so my, my son's name is Tristan Samuel, which means outcry heard by God. And, um, that oh. has been, I mean, he's just, he's supposed to be here first of all, but, but I think God has brought me back to himself by making me a parent because you know, while I couldn't figure out how to experience God's love personally, when I became a mom, it shifted things where I could suddenly start to say, wait, if I love my kid this much, and God says that he loves me way more than that, that's pretty powerful. Um, so that's, you know, and then gradually, just little by little, getting me in the right church, getting me some some healing and deliverance from some issues. And sure, um, yeah, it's been it's been a process. I'm not there yet. I oh, still yeah. struggle. Well, you know, but <laughs> that's why the show is called Halfway There. <laughs> oh, there you go. Because <laughs> we're, we're, we're all, none of us are there yet. We're, and I actually believe that we're always going to be learning and growing in the Lord, that we'll never exhaust the limits of an infinite God throughout eternity. We'll always learn, we'll always be learning about Him and His relationship to us. Right. Um, but uh, interesting. Yeah. What a, what a way that God has, kind of led you out um, or led you into thinking about yourself differently through, through having a kid, having a child. Wow. That's, that's fascinating. I know that that tends to happen. You have to be a little less self involved when you have to care for somebody else. Right. So true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You don't have the luxury of, uh, in theory, you don't have the luxury of being, so navel gazing, you know, right. you, you have to get up and there's a little one that needs to be fed at three o'clock in the morning, whether or not you feel like it, you know, and it's, <laughs> it does, it's just your perspective, but it's beautiful for me. So, oh, yeah, very interesting. Okay. Well, I, what do you know, I love about that is that, you know, for some people, and especially if you're in a bad circumstance that might've, you know, finding out you're pregnant might've been a, a bad thing, but for you, you saw it as God. It's just, there was an inner knowing, you know, and it's interesting, interesting. that everybody around me, I remember saying them saying just like with horror when they found out, you know, mm. Kaylee, there's no way you can have this kid. Like you are not in a position. This is, this is absurd to even think that you could have a baby right now. Like, of course you're going to board, aren't you? And wow. um, for whatever, like, I know what it's like to have to, I, I knew, you know, looking at the situation through normal human eyes, that there was some truth, to what they were saying. I was in a really bad spot, but. Um, but there was just that inner knowing, and I don't know if you've ever experienced that though, where there's something in your spirit that's just like, this is the way walkie in it, <laughs> Yeah, you know, 
and, and I had that. So, yeah, absolutely. I actually felt that way. I quit my job a couple of weeks ago and I felt the same way. And people are, are looked at me like, what are you doing, man? That's crazy. But it's just, this, you know when you know. this is the right place for me to be right now. So yep. I, yeah, I totally get that. that. Wow. Very cool. Interesting. Okay. So that kind of started, it sounds like that started you on a journey back. What, what has God taught you about yourself in that period of time? So much. I mean, Gosh, where do I even begin? <laughs> you know, and, and I would love to say that from that moment on, you know, the, the minute I became pregnant and I saw the light, like the blinding light of <laughs> Saul, all of a sudden it was crystal clear and I walked straight and narrow. And I would love for that to be my narrative. Um, but it's not. Like God was always, he, he, it feels like he's just been like a tug of war, like pulling me closer and pulling me closer. Mm-hmm. He's always going to win, but but there's still so much resistance that I continue to fight, you know, and um, I think shortly after I had my son, I ended up in a relationship um, with a guy and, you know, I knew it was wrong. I just knew it wasn't a good fit, but I was so terrified of being alone that I married him. And that, I think, more than probably anything else in the last 10 years of my life, um, I have learned to fall on my face before the Lord and completely surrender. Like the, the word surrender did not mean anything until the context of surviving that marriage and mm. consequently the divorce. Um, it, I, I've never been that close to God that I've never felt him so near and so faithful um, because uh, I'll tell you, I mean, this is the kinds of things that, that happened during that, that, period of time were just so incredibly painful but that's when god like just showed up in this huge way and i start to actually kind of experience his love and um i think that's where i I realized i kind of made a shift from this feeling like damaged goods to feeling like the daughter of the king and knowing that i was the daughter of a king Mm -hmm. and because he would show up in these just like miraculous amazing ways that could not be explained any other way you know whether it was you know totaling my car which i did i totaled my car shortly like two days after discovering that my husband had a, a mistress and i have a newborn and she's crying in the back seat of my car and i am beside myself and i turn around and try to help her out and i crash into a telephone pole and total my car and i don't have car insurance and i remember going home and just like literally lying face down on the bathroom floor and just crying and saying lord jesus like fish and loaves i've got nothing i don't have insurance for this i don't you know i couldn't afford insurance back then and um i will tell you the next day i showed up at work i'd gotten a ride to work and i hadn't told anybody what had happened and this lady knocks on my door on my office door and she smiles at me and she says are you kaylee and i open yes and she hands me an envelope and she says god wants you to have this turns around, walks out. I've never seen her before. Inside is $1,200 cash with a note about his provision. Wow. You know, and it's story after story after story, just the way that God would be like, here I am. I've got you. Um, that's, that's been all the difference to me. I mean, some people yeah. need more sight than others, I guess. And maybe I was one of them, but. D- describe the emotion as you opened up that envelope and read it. Oh, I mean, I think I probably just <laughs> cried for like 20 minutes right. because it's it's not even just the money. It's just the, 
I think the awareness that, wow, God sees me. And I think it came from this kind of theology that was just like, I call it the lowly worm theology. Yes. Where, where you're like, you know, I'm so lucky that God should descend from on high to include me in the many, you know, it was very impersonal. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm lucky, I should just be grateful, God is sovereign, all those things are are ultimately true. But the personal relationship that he knows Kaylee Triller, he knows that her car is non-functional. He, you know, he, he sees that she's on the bathroom floor. That was a different, I mean, it just, it was all the difference in the world because we talk about knowing God, you know, and I knew a lot of, I, I can recite my catechisms and, you know, the Nicene Creed, but knowing God is not the same thing as knowing about God. And um, I've I really learned to to know him in the last 10 years or so. Oh, wow. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love this idea that you call it the lowly worm theology. Um, I think we were talking about that before because it's just, it makes me crazy, this idea that we we so often say things like, oh, you know, I, I don't know why God would love me, right? Or, um, you know, I don't deserve it, uh, which, you know, okay, I get the whole theology of sin and we have to deal with that a little bit. But the reality is we're made in his image and he loves us. Right. And right. there, I, I do know why he loves us. He loves us because he made us, you know? And right, and he made us good. He did, and he and we reflect that. And so, one of the things um, that's been really powerful for me that kind of goes along with that is I, I have a coach. His name is Tim Morris. He was on the show back in February of 2018, but he uh, he talks a lot about the heart and how the heart is redeemed. Right. So, if we're in Christ, yes, you know we're we were in sin, but we've been redeemed by Christ, and that our heart is actually the center of our being and it's, and it will tell us where we need to go and that that's actually a really good thing and a gift from God. If, if we discover how he's made us. Right. And uh, that's been, for me, that's been the antidote to that lowly worm kind of, Oh, I'm, I'm nothing, you know? Well, right. And I think, I mean, so often when we hear people kind of using that language, to me, it's always resonated as kind of this like false humility, like, we're supposed to feel that way and believe that way. So we say it, but it never really resonates as, as honest. Right. Yes. And because there's a piece of it that's like, I'm saying this because I'm supposed to, and I want you to know that I realize that I'm nothing. And I mean, I get like amazing grace, you know, saved a wretch like me. Like we have to be aware of our sin and it's real. And we have to be able to name it. But like, like you said, God loves us and he made us good and he destined us for glory. And, Mm-hmm. I think there's, it's actually, can it can be sinful to, to call something evil or bad or worthless when God has said it is good. I totally agree with that. And I, I, you know, the glory thing, isn't that beautiful? Like we, if you read what uh, happens in Revelation, our destiny is to rule and reign and God made us for that. And right. the promise of the gospel is that we can actually do some of that now, right? We, we are in we can become that person that he's called us to be. Right. Oh, I love that. Okay. Well, that is amazing. I'm sure that it was a, um, that's a theology that doesn't, doesn't come out easily. So I'm sure that you've wrestled with that over, over time. Oh yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But that's, that's interesting. And it's amazing that God showed up for you there after the car crash. That's pretty pretty cool. I'm sure there's lots of other ways, you know, so then eventually it sounds like you got out of that relationship and moved on. Like how, what did that, what did that take 
on your part to see God as involved in that? It was such a, I mean, we talk about process, you know, and it was difficult for me because at the time I was, I call myself Presbycostal, right? So I've got all this heady theology and yet I believe that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is a lot more active than maybe a lot of times we think that he is. And so trying to figure out which is which and, and where I fall within that has been its own unique challenge and one that has kind of come to light um, in the context of my my marriage and my divorce. Um, but, you know, when I first got married, married, I can remember, and this is going to sound so awful to anybody who hasn't lived it, but you have to like think through the lens of a badly traumatized, just kind of despairing kind of girl. Yeah. You know, I remember showing up at the courthouse and, and at this point, this should have been my first indicator, right? Because I wanted a big wedding and he was pushing, which is pushing faster, faster, faster. Um, but I remember showing up at the courthouse and thinking to myself, I'm not sure about this. I'm not sure about this. Like maybe I can get out of this and then getting married and feeling like, wow, what have I just done? Like that was, like, that's not how you're probably supposed to feel on your wedding day. No. Um, and it's because I had already kind of experienced this temper a little bit, I think. But um, you know, I got really deeply convicted probably six months into my marriage. Now, I got pregnant on my honeymoon, so now I have a daughter too. Um, but the way things happen is I got married, I got pregnant on my honeymoon, husband lost his job like the next week. So it was boom, boom, boom. So now I'm pregnant. I've got a special needs the toddler who's nearly just died of a seizure that I didn't explain. But so I'm I'm trying to figure that all out. Now I'm like bringing home the bacon and I'm working while pregnant. And it was just this perfect storm. Right. And so I wanted out and I wanted out badly. And I was kind of just like, get me out of this, get me out of this. And then all of a sudden God like came along and this is conviction to like learn to love this man because he's wounded too. And I don't know where that came from, but it, it tied me over for quite some time. And I remember just coming, falling at the feet of Jesus. Lord, you love him. Lord, you can heal him. Lord, you can do, you know, show me what to do. And I think for six years, I didn't feel like I had the green light to leave, even though he had by that point already cheated several times. I knew that like I had a biblical foundation and reason and justification for leaving. Yeah, It just didn't feel that release yet. But there was a certain point at which, like, I think I had to get there too, where I realized I had done all I could to stand. And, you know, at a certain point you realize this isn't good for your children to see their mom be treated this way. This isn't a good way for your son to grow up believing that men should behave. This isn't a good way for your daughter to see, you know, relationships modeled. And I just felt this peace and it was this time and we pulled the plug and it's, you know, it's not been fun. Um, I grieve it. It's not God's best. And it's because I made a poor choice and I have to live with that. My, my kids do too. And I see it every day. You know, my son wants dad and that's hard, but I'm like, Lord Jesus, you know, um, but it's better, um, than it was. And yeah. I, I think, um, you know, it's just been a process and, and people, it's, it's a hard thing to talk about in Christian circles. I'll say, I'll say that much. Um, yeah, I bet. Shame and stigma and judgment and people not knowing personal details because it's not their business, right. <laughs> you know, but, but, um, I never, ever thought I would be somebody who was divorced. I mean, just still that word to me is like, ooh. Um, but, um, yeah, it's 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 right, and I have peace about it. So. Sure. Yeah, well, that's, yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, because I, I know that it's it's hard to talk about, but I really do think, you know, there there are many situations that, that call for that, and 
Um, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of a weirdo on this issue because I think that um, there's a lot of other things that are that are more important than. I mean, I know, I know the script. I, I guess, God, I want to be careful that I how I say this right, yes. but I, I know what scripture says. But there are situations where it's warranted, and like you said, sometimes you just have to say what's best for everyone is this, and so you go that direction. And it sounds like you you did it prayerfully at least. I mean, you you were engaging the Lord throughout the whole thing. I did. And you know, since we're even going there, I have to say this too, because this has grieved me in recent history. Like, and you've probably seen it if you follow my Facebook page at all. Um, you know, I was blessed and really, really grateful to be in a church that could navigate that gray area. Um, I think with, with conviction and biblical truth, but also just incredible discernment and wisdom. Yeah. Um, because there was a certain point, and I think this is huge in terms of me finally deciding to call it quits and pull the plug um, was when my pastor, who is one of the godliest men I have ever met. Like I, there are a few people in this world who I could say when he speaks and when you're around him, you actually feel what it must have been like for, to be with Jesus. Wow. You know, so for me to have that kind of respect for somebody and to hear him say, Kaylee, God doesn't want this for you. This is not how a daughter of the King is to be treated. You don't need to let yourself be beat up. You know, like that release from him meant so much to my broken soul. Right. But I will tell you, as I work with women and especially with feminists and especially with women on the left, I am not exaggerating how many of them abandon the faith as a result of really bad counsel on this issue or a similar issue from the church. Um, so it's that important to me because it just, it's really, and it's it's a conversation that's been happening in certain Christian circles recently. Yeah. Um. And I think a lot of times, you know, if you don't have any framework or if you haven't gotten any experience yourself, on, or you don't know anybody who's wrestled this way, it is tempting to be like, well, this is what the Bible says. The Bible says, you know, unless, uh, except for marital unfaithfulness, and they just, you know, breeze by, but, and they, they define that so, in such a limited way. You know, um, it, unless he cheats, but marital unfaithfulness, what does that mean? What, why don't we ever have that discussion? Yeah. Um, and the only reason I'm, I know this is a very uncomfortable topic, but the only reason I'm pushing here is because it's so important. Like, so, so important. It is wounding so many women yeah. if we get it wrong. No, I totally so. agree with that. And, and I think, too, that you this leads perhaps into your work as well. And you've kind of started to go there. But the um, the idea that we can... Uh, hold other people to the truth without loving them, right? So yeah. I can just say, well, you just have to do what Scripture says, even though what it means for you is is just a horrible life, right? Like not not that we're promised. Nobody's promised, you know, whatever riches and everything. You know what I mean? Like a, a really there's another jewel every time you get hit. There's yeah, another whatever. Jewel like like there's what no, is this? Yeah, there's you know you're not <laughs> promised you know necessarily a life without worry, but you know, a, the, a life without, you know, some of the, you know, yeah. Abuse and, and other kinds of things I think is, is something that God wants. And um, anyway, I don't know. I, I probably, I'm trying to be careful how I say it. No, and I, things, I apologize for putting you in that. Cause no, I, I don't think we planned on talking about that issue. No, so we but, were... but that's okay. And I actually think it's, it's, it is something that I want to talk about. And I think it is important that we don't let, the letter of the law destroy the love of the law, you know? 
Right. So maybe, maybe that's what we mean. But I, I mean, where I was trying to go was the, you know, that people lose their faith because of this, because we don't actually end up caring for the people because we care too much about the truth. And they're not antithetical. They're just, it's the way we apply it. Right. Right. We just, we, <laughs> we lose the forest of the trees. Um, and, and Jesus, I mean, how many of the, the parables and things or stories of Jesus in the Bible illustrate that point? You know, no Pharisees, you think it's this way, but this is the way. And it's, <laughs> it's not about the law. It's about, you know, you don't have to compromise truth to there's just a, find a bigger truth within it. So, which I know it's very scary language because it sounds like, oh, you're, you're throwing caution to the wind. And, and I don't want to play fast and loose with the scripture either. It says what it says. Yeah. Um, but I think we need to maybe look a little bit deeper behind what our interpretation of the word is. What could it also mean sometimes? Yeah. What What if discernment is a part of our decision making, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. And application. I like that. Take us like, into kind of what happened next. I'd like to to hear more about how you started um, your organization as well. But uh, okay. maybe maybe there's a gap you want to fill in before we get there. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll try to kind of abbreviate if I can. Sure. Um, there's just so much information. Um, so one thing I will say throughout my entire life, besides you know knowledge of working knowledge of God, um, that has been consistent and kind of just a stabilizer, I guess, for me was the YMCA. So both of my parents um, met at a YMCA college. They got married. They flew out and started living in Washington, both worked at the YMCA, Pearson, Kitsap counties. So, you know, growing up, I was a Y, like literal poster child. Like there was actually a picture of me on the wall as a child. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, we, and I loved it. Like, like it was just my language, right? And it was just like the first why was a Bible study. And I just loved that the mission was paired with like activity and like everybody could come. And so I actually, my first job, um, when I was 15 years old, I was hired by the Y as a locker room monitor, which is ironic in retrospect. Um, but I kind of climbed my way up the ladder. So no matter what was happening in the rest of my life, um, at some, you know, in some capacity, I was always employed by the Y. I'd go off to college, come home and work for the Y. Um, and I climbed the ladder. So I worked for the Y for 17 years and I had climbed high enough to to be the communications director for the entire um, regional organization. So I, you know, nine branch facilities and my cubicle was right outside the CEO's office. I was feeling pretty pleased with myself. And um, out of nowhere, one day my boss came to me. And she said, Kaylee, I need you to draft these talking points for this new policy we're about to adopt. Um, nobody knows about this yet, and it's going to be really controversial. And I need you to look at it, familiarize yourself with this so that we can position it in such a way that it's a lot more um, accessible and, and people will respond better to it. So normally that would be like my favorite type of job because um, I love to find the silver lining. And there's usually something really positive to say about the why. And, so I took the, the papers home and I familiarized myself with them and I like my heart sank. And I realized what she was saying was that we were about to open our organization's like numerous locker rooms and bathrooms on the basis of gender identity as opposed to, um, you know, anatomy. And so, you know, I think for context, you have to realize like nobody was taught. There was no transgender bathroom, anything anywhere on the on the scene. Like we weren't talking about North Carolina like I'd never even heard of such a preposterous idea. Like I, we all knew that transgender people existed in, in relative peace, but you know we mm. never really had any issue with them. Um, 
regardless of whether we agreed with what they believe. Um, so to me, I was just like, what in heaven's name? Because the, the Y was a Christian organization. I had been hired as a mission director at one point. And we, you know, in, in terms of communication on all things controversial, we would just avoid it. Like we are not political. We're, we want to be a place for people to not. So I went back the next day and I said, no. And I said, what? <laughs> You've got to be kidding me. What? Like, this is ridiculous. And, but I, I've got to tell you, I was so struck. There were a couple of different levels at which it hit me. It hit me as a Christian because, you know, if the why is going to compromise like this, like who else is going to stand? Um, it hit me as a mom because my little girl and my little boy, you know, they get dressed in those locker rooms for swimming class. But I was absolutely gutted and very, very surprised at the intensity that it hit me as a survivor of rape. Um, yeah. Because, like, I, I remember even as a college athlete, like, locker rooms for me, not fun places, right? Like, a lot of my abuse happened in bathroom kind of setting, in mm. a shower. So I remember even as a kid and lining the crack underneath the door with a beach towel. So nobody could even like poke anything under there. And even as a college athlete, you know, after college basketball games, like showering in my underwear when the team was showering, because it was just the trauma was so severe. So I was very protective of my personal space. And to me, the idea that anybody based on what they said, not that there was any proof or any kind of standard could come in as a man fully intact and declare that he had a right to stand in there while I was showering or my little girl, like I, it was beyond the pale. Um, and I ultimately ended up getting fired over that. Um, I pushed back and I was told I was being closed minded and that wasn't really a YMCA decision. It was a society decision. And we're saying, you know, things don't become society decisions until people with power fail to use it to, to stand up for what's good and right. And I remember what was really kind of just devastating to me about that. And I'm not trying to say this in condemnation, but because this was just eye opening was that, you know, I, I didn't feel like I had a lot of power at the Y I climbed the ladder, but I wasn't the most influential by any means. And there were a lot of good Christian men who had more power than I did. And I remember appealing to all of them and saying, please say something, do something. And it was like crickets. And I remember writing to the, you know, why the USA mission director, the big guy, you know, help. And I remember getting a response from him saying, you know, this is really terrible. This is not good. I'm so sorry you're going through this. This is kind of beyond my pay grade. There's not a lot I can do. I'll pray for you. And I was just like, wow. wow. And it felt, I mean, it, it just felt so reminiscent of the abuse I suffered as a child to be honest. I mean, and it was the same kind of language that my abuser would actually use, which was, mm. you know, if you were more loving, you would, or, <laughs> you know, and, and it's, if you really cared about me, you would let me violate your boundaries so that, you know, I can feel better about myself. And I felt like, why is it my responsibility to maintain somebody else's mental stability? Why do I have to sacrifice my bodily privacy? And so when I got fired for that, like the week that I got fired, I had, you know, just stayed up all night and I'd written this blog and I'd posted it on Facebook and it was just heart sick. And I remember like the words just came pouring out and it wasn't beautifully crafted by any means, but a friend read it and she said, you know, Kayla, you need to submit this to the Federalist, which is an online uh, news yeah. organization. And in desperation, a very... <laughs> kind of um sarcastic i said fine whatever and i did and i was really surprised that they, they published it the week i got fired um and it went viral and i was shocked you know and 
it was their best running piece, I think, in 2016. And it's, I say this, it's not because it was so well written. It was because it was so well understood. And it devastated me because for about six months, I would hear from women all over the country, um, right, left, old, young, all sharing these heartbreaking stories of abuse that they had suffered and trauma they'd suffered and how devastated they were at the possibility that this could be a thing. Like, right. And like, we were the one this, <laughs> this could possibly be a thing. And they were devastated. Now we're seeing this go national. It is like a human right now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so from that, um, I started to meet a lot of, like I said, the feminists, um, one in particular, her name is Miriam and she is one of my favorite people on this earth. And I pray for her. Um, but she was a basically a, a lesbian legend and civil rights activist who twice changed herself to the White House fence. Wow. And she had been um, invited to be the Pride Parade Grand Marshal in her local area. And when they found out that she also disagreed with this trans ideology, um, they fired her from that position. And so I invited her out to come meet me and we held a press conference. It's on YouTube. It's really we also invited um, a couple other far leftist leaning women, um, hoping that maybe that could shatter this narrative that insists that this is a right wing bigotry issue, because it certainly has religious implications and as a, it, it, a horrible violation of my own faith. But it's a huge issue for women in particular. You know, but if you watch the press conference, I mean, it's it's hard to watch. We get shouted down. The police told us it was unsafe to come outside. Um, wow. We're getting screamed at. I'm standing up there trying, like, sincerely to explain my position in, as a rape survivor, and they're shouting things like, you're disgusting. And um, I think from that, like, that really kind of bonded us. She and I were like, wow, look, we've just, like, survived together. And she and I ended up co-founding this coalition, and it's just a godsend. Now we have attorneys in there. We've got doctors. We've got, you know, other women who have been... Um, been either fired or who are raising children who believe that they are opposite sex. It just, it's been like kind of a safe haven um, for us and, and we're doing a lot of good work. So I'm, I'm just thrilled that the Lord's using it. And um, it's, we had to set some pretty strong ground rules from the beginning. Like there are certain issues that we're not going to talk about in the group, like just zero tolerance for that. We're not going to talk about gay marriage. We're not going to talk about abortion. Mm. We can't start the conversation there. Right. It just won't end well you know now on the side can we talk about those things one-on-one sure um but it's it's really been good yeah okay that was a lot that's that's just sorry (laughs) no i love it it's 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 amazing and uh wow so i think what stands out to me is that you you know you again these are these are big issues and they're and they're dicey and so i want to i want to be sensitive as i can but so you 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 know, you, you have the stand obviously as a survivor that this is not a, this is not okay. Right. And which I think gives you a lot of credibility in that it's different than just saying, well, I don't like transsexual people. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, um, so what are, so anyway, I, I thought that was, I thought that that's important because it does, it does say that, you know, you, you do this, you do care about people, but you're not, you just are against the kinds of ways that this could be abused. I, and that's the thing. That's the, probably the hardest, most painful piece of this for me besides losing. Like, so I have three siblings who won't talk to me right now because of my stand on this issue. 
um, including a gay brother. And I, I can't talk about it very long without crying because it, it just hurts. Yeah. Right. Because my heart has never been, and I will tell you, like, I remember watching as a kid, some of the horrible ways that my brother um, would be treated. Now I, I'm a Bible believing Romans one, like it says what it says. Like we talked about, like, I can't, yeah, I can't rewrite it. I, I wrestle with it, but, but God is good and he's just right. But the way I've seen a lot of Christians treat uh, people in the LGBT community, um, especially my brother, when I was younger, like it made me actually bow to myself that I would never take a public stand on any LGBT issue, right? Because I just didn't want to be associated with that kind of abject hatred. You know, the whole Westboro God hates fags kind of yeah. language. And like, these are people <laughs> and a lot of times with tremendous wounds, you know, that none of us could even imagine. And so for me to be positioned now, because no matter what I say or how carefully I craft my talking points or communicate, like the, the narrative insists that I am a bigot, you know, that I hate people, that, that I don't want trans people to exist. And nothing could be further from the truth. The reality is that I love everybody. And I think that bad ideas create victims. And I think that we are hurting trans people by allowing them to, to go without getting help or to, to normalize something that is not healthy, you know, and I think if you look at what's actually happening, and we never get this far in the conversation in the media, which is really frustrating, because all you'll hear is bathrooms, what's the big ideal, you know, close the door, call it good, be done. But they don't understand, like, what's actually happening here. And it's, you know, everybody is harmed by it, but they're sterilizing children, right? So now they're saying that kids know that they are transgender as early as age two. And so to prevent them from having to endure this horrible like crisis of puberty, which will make them cemented into whatever their actual sex is. They're injecting these kids with puberty blockers at age nine. And then they're following it up by cross sex hormones. So that by the time they're 18 years old, all these kids are rendered completely sterile. Like this is happening like by the hundreds now, like this where, is a runaway train and nobody talks about that. Where is that right? happening? You don't, where? Yeah everywhere really like the apa the american psychological association has issued guidelines now that say it's okay in fact that that's probably preferred to keep these kids from having to go through puberty right so they're they're injecting them with these drugs that have never been approved by the fda they've never been tested for this purpose but and i can send you some links to to some of the articles and some of the um, data on this but like it's way worse it's not just one or two here and there like it's it's everywhere and and people don't know this because they're not reading about it in, the, in the media. So these are some of the things that like as a coalition we're standing up and saying hold the phone. Like how is a double mastectomy a reasonable cure for a 14 year old's dysphoria? Like you can't undo that. Right. <laughs> you know? So um you know so that's one of the issues. You know female sports we've got uh, in Connecticut right now the uh, high school girls track championship in Connecticut. We've got two males slated to win first and second place in a couple of the girls events because they say they're girls. Right. So what does that do for, you know, I, I paid for college through a, an athletic scholarship. And, and so now males are kind of taking those over too. So it, it's, it's got lots of far reaching implications that don't get a lot of exposure in the mainstream media. And um, yeah, they need to be explored further. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. And that's what I hear you saying is that we need to think more carefully about the implications and not just 
not just do these things because that's what we're told to do. Right. Or because that's what, you know, this is such an effective, effective, like messaging piece. If you were loving, you know, if you don't want to be a hater, you don't want to be a bigot. Like your alternative is to just roll over and die to this. Right. um, Yeah. it, It works though. Yeah, it does. That's yeah, definitely, definitely interesting. Well, I want to know a little more about, um, this partnership that you've crafted, um, because that's unusual. Like I know, I know that you, yeah. you told us a little bit, you, you guys went through some stuff and you kind of found that you were on the same side, but how, how does that, how do you find that whole experience? So I will tell you, I, I think so much of this centers around my friend, Miriam, her name is Miriam Benjamin. You can Google her. Um, initially when I read about her, I knew in my heart that I wanted to meet her because what I saw in her, what I was reading was a moral conviction that superseded her even own self-protection. It was, it was familiar. It's something that I could identify with because it's what I had at the Y. Like, like I can't live with myself if I don't stand up and say something. And I was really fascinated that I should see that in a lesbian woman and not in the Christian men around me. Yeah. Wow. And I don't mean to say that in a harsh, like you take that as you will, but that's what I was thinking. Well, it might be be harsh. It's a harsh reality. Right. And um, I think one of the things that I wish the church would do is talk about issues of sex beyond, you know, uh, gay marriage. Like that's been the thing that we've worried about for two or three decades. Um, And then totally, I have a whole thing on that, which we don't have time to go into, but you know, we spent all this money and all this time on passing laws and whatever, and but we didn't change any hearts, you know. Right, but you know what? I'll say that's what that's really frustrating because I think the pendulum is perpetually swinging in the direction of overcorrection. Mm-hmm. So I think we got gay marriage really wrong as a church. I think you're right. There's so much about like legislation, and I get that there has to be some about legislation because. When it is a slippery slope with stuff, like if you allow something like society can collapse if you allow too many, you know, unhealthy ideas to be cemented into law. But the way they approached it was such that it was like, you know, everything else we love, the sinner, hate the sin. And then this was just like unclean. Get away from me. I cannot be. Don't touch me. God hates you. Like all of that was just bad. Right. So I think what we've seen now is a complete reversal from that where people are grieving how they treated gay people. Mm -hmm. And so now they won't take a stand on anything. And, you know, as, as I was running a campaign, so shortly after the, why did this stupid thing? And and what I found out later was that they knew that this was about to become a law in Washington, not because people voted for it, of course, because it was ushered in by bureaucracy, but um, I led a campaign to repeal the law in Washington because it's a bad one. Like we didn't get to vote on it and it's really hideous. but as I was doing that, we realized that the only way we were going to get this through was to appeal to the church. Like the only people with the kind of, you know, courage and, and power <laughs> to to speak into this kind of darkness would be people in the church. And we had one volunteer call, I think, a couple hundred churches to see if they would even help us, like, invite their participants to sign an initiative. And seven said yes. Wow. Like seven. You know, and so... It's it's a weird thing to find yourself in this position where you understand why the church wants to to speak into hearts and avoid the politics. But I don't think that there is a safe way to do like it's not either or you have to do both. And I think that's what we haven't gotten very good yet. Like we haven't done a good job of figuring out how to do that. 
Like, yeah. how can you take a stand and insist on being the watchman on the wall and not letting, you know, bad policies be cemented into law while at the same time still communicating? But Jesus loves you and we love you and we're not afraid of you. And that's hard. It's, it's just really hard to do. Yeah, it is. And I think coming out of a place where we are really maybe gun shy, if that, maybe a bad yep. choice of words, but um, uh, for political involvement, I can see why some people are just saying, no, we're just going to avoid all that altogether. Yep. Um, but it's you're right. It's not the right thing to do. Well, and it was interesting because, you know, as I was running this campaign, I can't tell you, I got at least a handful of emails from random people in the community who said, I haven't been to church in years. The current like political climate is such that I am realizing like this is good versus evil. I need to get back in church. Can you direct me to a church in your local, like within the vicinity of my home, like 30 miles? Wow. And four out of five of them, I couldn't find a church because there wouldn't be one that was actually taking a bold stand. They wanted to find a church that wasn't afraid to say what was true. And it was interesting for as, as much as people were afraid that taking a stand on this issue would alienate the LGBT community. I took a real bold stand and I find myself surrounded by lesbians, you know? <laughs> so it's just like, you know, truth, truth resonates with people who are in a place to hear it, you know? And it's like, if you're going to be salt and light, salt stings wounds and light is blinding if you're living in darkness, but those who are ready to hear are going to hear. And it's going, you know, if you, if you do it with the right motives, like God's going to have to protect your heart and, and, and orchestrate all the, the people. He'll bring the people if you're doing what's right. Yeah. So anyway, sorry, well, I have a lot to say about no, that. Clearly. That's, that's <laughs> awesome. I love that. Well, yeah. so what do you hope happens? Where do you hope that uh, hands across the aisle goes? Well, I, I think there are a lot of issues. We're finding that it's not just the uh, transgender issue that unites us. We also um, share views on, uh, we oppose pornography. We think pornography is hideous. And we oppose, um, you know, sex worker prostitution. We think that's just really bad. So all these issues on which we agree and we can find this common ground, the more that we work together, the more human the other side of the aisle becomes to us, I think. And I find that most of us in this coalition have totally softened to other people from different perspectives. It's not so siloed. I mean, if you you hop on Facebook for five minutes and any combination of like the words libtard or right wing bigot or zealot, like this language is so ill-effective and counterproductive. So my goal is, and I think people are actually kind of cautiously optimistic or hopeful that what we're doing at Hands Across the Aisle could indicate like this is possible to work together. And I think when we learn from each other, like, I don't know, I mean, I've had opportunities to share the, the gospel. Now, not everybody's going to want that, but yeah. Um, but that's my heart. Well, <laughs> um, and, and they tolerate me because they know that my heart is good. Right. So what I love about that is like those kind of phrases and things that we say about each other are really dehumanizing. Yeah. And they're a way of of seeing somebody as less than because of their beliefs and because of what they think, even though you don't really know who they are. But I don't think for a Christian we can do that. And I, you know, I I don't Thank know if you. I ever told you the story, but we. I started out as a political blog. Like I, that's what I was trying to do when I graduated from seminary. Right. And, and I quickly found myself just writing what everybody else was saying and nobody's reading it, which is 
understandable now. But uh, <laughs> but um, I but as I've fi- as I started to engage other people and I've started to to try to change hearts instead of laws and policies, although those that's important. Um, I've started to see well that you know that you see the other people once you you know once you see them as human beings created in God's image, you cannot call them names. Right, you can't. You they they are your brother or sister, whether they're in Christ or not. They are still God's children, and right, they're created in His image. Like, who are you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and I think God's heart for them is one of love, and you know, He can. I will let Him if there's sin in their life. He needs to convict them of that, and He needs to convict me of that. I've got it. I I need conviction as well, and um, I think just taking a posture like that can do really wonders and. You know, I wish that the church did something like that. So I'm grateful for a conversation like this, and hopefully it prompts uh, prompts some more people to take stands like that. Yeah, I think it's slower progress, and it, you know, unfortunately, we're in an instant, instant gratification kind of world right now, right? Like you just want you want change today. We want one law to pass so that it fixes all the problems. You know, we we want something to fix the gun violence. We want, Nobody wants to get their hands dirty and wrestle and like in the ambiguity and the uncertainty. And, you know, as a communicator, I, I'm watching other, you know, conservative bloggers or whatever. If I wanted to fast track it to like fame, I know exactly what sound bites to, to wow. push or to, you know, and, and it's, it's going to get you a lot of traction, but it's not actually helping. Like, you know, so this this nuance and this uncertainty is not popular because it's not it doesn't fit the safety of anybody's boxes but that's exactly i think what's needed and i'm grateful that it sounds like you you kind of got that you know it sounds like oh, yeah. you realize the humanity that needed to be preserved that like gosh if we're calling ourselves christians what in heaven's name are we doing screaming slurs at people like this is not okay <laughs> you know right especially so, based on a political view right like that's right. just that's not that's not the issue. There's there's still people. One of the best things I've ever seen is, um, well, so this this will be an interesting anecdote. So um, you know, there's Westboro Baptist. We mentioned them. They're in yep. Kansas somewhere. Um, is that my, where they are? I don't even know. I think so. My my dad goes to this church in Des Moines. It's the biggest church in Iowa, and uh, they participated in their their town's like I don't know. It was like a Fourth of July parade or something. You know, some parade. But there was also other other um, groups, like I think there's a there's a, a, a like an LGBT group there in that town. So they were also in the parade, and so they Westboro Baptist came out to protest the church, and uh, because they were partnering with these other people, or, or at least in the same vicinity. And the pastor had this great response. He said, "You know what? Here's what we're going to do. If you guys want to," he said to the church, "If you want to come out, uh, we're going to take them donuts and coffee and juice." when they're out there. And so they, what they did is they just went out to the Westboro Baptist people and said, Hey, here you go. Here's coffee, donuts and juice. And they fed them and they talked to them. Right. And so, you know, I mean, I guess that's, that's a little different um, group of people, but they treated them like people. Yep. And I think that's the thing that we, that we need to do. And it was the right response. I mean, I could get all indignant and, you know, mad and I say all kinds of nasty things, but Loving, loving them is actually the harder thing to do, but it's the godly thing to do. That's right. And I think people, I mean, just to push back on that, just ever so slightly, and I think that's right. That's the right approach. I have a friend in Canada who's kind of spearheading the effort there. 
who was actually a pastor at a church and he did the same thing. He put coffee out and made a tent. And he, I mean, he's just so kind. Right. And that speaks volumes. Now, one thing I want to say about that though, is that like, that won't always work. Like sure. people don't always, there are, there are some who are completely given over. I mean, I've gotten death threats and rape threats and I'm going to come burn you in your sleep. There are some reprobate minds out there. Wow. So I think initially I was kind of naive and I thought, surely if we're just loving enough, everybody will see the light and we'll sing Kumbaya and it'll be great. And that's just not true, right? Like there's some, there's time for war and sometimes <laughs> that's it. Like, <laughs> you true. know, um, but, but war and prayer first and war with love whenever possible <laughs> and love enough to just tell the truth. I, I think when we start to realize that, in order to feel like we're being loving, we are compromising our truth and not our truth, the truth in some capacity. That's that's a red flag, right? Like you don't have to compromise truth right. to be loving. So that's that's my spiel on that. Right. Well, it may not even <laughs> change their mind, right? It may not change right. where they are. That and I really, right. I, I'm committed to the view that we have to let God do that. Yep. Um, but it, but at <laughs> least work. yeah, at least may um, say something different than you know we think you're going to hell. You know, because that's it, that's effective, right? Right. It may say we think that God wants a relationship with you, and so do we, even yeah. though, even though we don't agree. So anyway, that's that's what I think about it. But I no, love this, yeah, I love this work that you're doing. Um, people can find you at handsacrosstheislewomen.com, and I'll have a link to that in the show notes. I also put a link to the piece that you had in the Federalist. So if oh, you guys want to read it, you can check that out there. Anything else you want to leave us with? I don't think so. This has been a good talk. I'm always appreciative of people who are willing to kind of wade into the less visible <laughs> elements of, of the work and, you know, actually kind of root out the heart here. So I'm, I'm grateful. This is a really good thing you're doing. And yeah. Following it. Well, thank you yeah. for being here. It's We went to the deep end for sure, but uh, I hope that, <laughs> yes. uh, if nothing else, friends, that it challenged you. And you know what? You don't have to agree with everything that uh, we said, but if you have thoughts about it, let me know. You can go to halfwaytherepodcast.com, leave a comment, um, or hit the contact button, send me an email. I would love to talk with you there as well. Um, all right. Well, Kaylee, thanks so much for being here. I surely appreciate your story. Oh, it was a pleasure. Thank you so much. Yeah.